Myrtle Beach is the beach. 60 miles of bright sand, water, and a wealth of wonderful music playing day and night. You can step into a simple beach bar and discover a surprising level of exciting musical talent. A place to kick back and groove to the enticing soundtrack of the most unexpected vacations around. With nothing but good vibes floating through the warm ocean air. Plan your own music-filled trip to America's Jukebox at visitmyrtlebeach.com. Welcome to Podcast One. We hope you'll support our sponsors who bring you these podcasts absolutely free and with limited interruptions. And of course, we appreciate you listening to this show, which will get started in just a second. Since 1983, Eddie Trunk has been the voice for fans of rock, hard rock, and heavy metal. A best-selling author, host of TV's That Metal Show, and seven national radio shows, including Trunk Nation, daily on Sirius XM. Interesting. Eddie offers the world his newsmaking interviews, passionate analysis, honest commentary, and who knows what else. So welcome to the Eddie Trunk Podcast. It's Eddie Trunk, and it's time for another episode of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, which is new every Thursday, podcast1.com and iTunes. Thank you for listening. Thank you for spreading the word wherever you are in the world. Thank you for checking out the Eddie Trunk Podcast, your source for all the cool rock interviews and insights and some great stuff. Last week, Alice Cooper. This week, the band that Alice Cooper is touring with. Three living legends in the world of rock, Ian Gillen, Ian Pace, Roger Glover, Three-fifths of what is widely regarded as the classic Deep Purple lineup, better known as Mark II. It was a huge thrill to have these guys for a Sirius XM town hall. They all came in and joined me in front of a live audience, just like Alice Cooper last week that you heard. Those are always a lot of fun. Again, remember the interviews you hear here on the Eddie Trunk Podcast originate from my radio show on Sirius XM which you can hear live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time, replaying every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern, and on demand on the SiriusXM app. Check out my show on SiriusXM Trunk Nation every day, live and replays on the weekend and on demand on the app. Channel 106 volume is where to find it. And again, uh, you get a little taste, just a tiny taste here on the podcast of what I do daily on Sirius XM. So hope you join me on the radio side and get involved in these interviews and maybe even get in the audience for one of the town halls coming up. About to do one with Scorpions, which you'll be hearing soon on the podcast in a week or two, but I'll be doing that live. So if you have Sirius XM, hopefully you were able to check that out and listen to that one as well. And of course, don't forget my terrestrial radio show on over 30 radio stations across the country each and every week. And some other cool new stuff coming. Of course, my social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, at Eddie Trunk. Twitter is the place to go for most up-to-the-second news and info. And you can also check me out at eddytrunk.com. Music news updated daily by Dana Rosen. Email me through the site. Sign copies of either of my books. By the way, if you're interested in buying Essential Hard Rock and Heavy Metal Volume 1 or 2, 
I uh, have stock back in finally, so I can get the orders turned around pretty quick. Hit the books tab on my site if you're interested in that. There's a merch store with T-shirts and other cool stuff as well. So have a look if you get a chance. So before we get to our interview, uh, more travel. I just came back from Los Angeles where I spent some time with the guys in STP, better known, of course, as Stone Temple Pilots. It was a lot of fun to go to L.A., kind of an unexpected last-minute trip to do that. And we had a, a great conversation there in L.A. with STP. And they were celebrating the 25th anniversary of their debut album, Core. And I got a chance to sit with Robert and Dean DeLeo and also Eric Kretz. And I'll get that up for you as a podcast sometime in the near future. But that actually is one of the rare town hall Sirius XM interviews I did that was pre-recorded. Most of what I do there is live, but this was pre-recorded because it's going to debut on Sirius XM on the 29th of September, which is the year to, uh, the, the, to the day that Core was released, 25 years to the day. So you'll be able to hear that premiere 7 p.m. Eastern on Channel 106 on volume on September 29th. Really fun conversation. It's kind of weird because the DeLeo brothers and Stone Temple Pilots, they are New Jersey guys. And I had always heard that, but never spent a lot of time talking to them about it. Being a lifelong Jersey guy myself, I was always surprised that I had never crossed paths with them back in the day when they were on the club circuit. But they played mostly down at the Jersey Shore where they're from and mostly in cover bands, and we just never knew each other back in the day. And when I got a chance to spend some time with them in L.A. last week where they now live, we went down all sorts of Jersey memory lanes <laughs> with those guys, and and that was a lot of fun. But you don't think of them as being a Jersey-based band, but they are in terms of when they first started playing and where the DeLeos come from. Uh, good guys, really fun conversation. Look forward to you guys being able to hear that both over the air on the radio and, of course, later on here on the podcast at some point. So Stone Temple, I believe they have a new singer uh, have not announced it yet, but I'm sure they will soon. And they've had a lot of stuff cooking, those guys. So we'll see what happens with them. I mean, tragic when you think about it, because uh, both of their singers, uh, of course, Wyland, and then more recently, Chester Bennington was singing in the band, both no longer alive. But they do have a future. And when they're ready to announce it, I'll certainly let you know. So it's good to be in L.A. for a couple days unexpectedly and do that. And uh, get ready to. I'm getting ready to go back to L.A., because the big Dio uh, Cancer Fund event is coming up October 6th at Pins in Studio City, the big bowling event that I do every year for the Dio Cancer Fund. I'll be out there the whole week previous doing my Sirius XM, XM show from there. So there's uh, a lot of good stuff, and it's always fun to visit the West Coast. I'm getting ready to go to San Diego if you're listening to this on post day. Yes, obviously, as you can hear, I love cross-country flights. Check this itinerary out. You ready for this? I'm going to be going... Uh, Thursday night flying Newark to San Diego. So that's six hours. Landing with the time difference in San Diego, like 11 o'clock at night, local time, right? Sleeping, doing a shoot for this new TV show that I have coming that I'll announce soon in San Diego at a festival called Kaboo all day Friday. Taking the red eye Friday from San Diego. So basically I'm in I'm on the West Coast less than 24 hours. Taking a red eye to Vermont from San Diego. Which of course there's no direct flight, so it's a stop in Chicago in the middle of the night. Landing in Vermont 
driving an hour and a half to my location in Vermont, God willing, sleeping for a couple hours, and then going into hosting a festival in Vermont, in Irisburg, for the Shriners. (laughs) So this is going to be the weekend beyond weekends for me as far as endurance. And I am lucky and grateful and blessed to have the work that I have, but my gosh, (laughs) in my old advanced age, I didn't want to be working this hard. (laughs) So, yeah, I'm going to be at this festival in San Diego called Kaboo literally for, I don't know, six, seven hours, turning around, flying all the way back across the country. And then the the event you can catch me at and you can go to uh, and join me at is in Irisburg, Vermont, and that's on the 16th. Vince Neal, Slaughter, Lita Ford, Warrant, Firehouse, many more. Should be a good time there. Also for a great cause. So come on out if you are anywhere near Irisburg, Vermont on the 16th. As usual, just follow on Twitter and check the homepage of my website for updates. I also, just at the time I'm recording this, returned from Dallas where I once again went for the second year in a row to Dallas to see my beloved New York football giants open the season against my most hated team in sports, the Cowboys, as a rival that they are. Last year was a wonderful experience because the Giants won. This year, not so much because the Giants look like hell. And it was not... Not the opening night celebration that I had hoped for. That being said, I'd like to thank my friend Doug Burgess, who was nice enough to bring me phenomenal seats. I am not a fan of that stadium. Everybody talks about Jerry World, AT&T Stadium, all that stuff. My second time there, I like it even less. And it has nothing to do with how I feel about the Cowboys or my dislike of that team and my rivalry with them as a Giants fan. It has to do with how I feel as a football fan. And as I said last time I went there, to me, that stadium feels like it has very little to do with football and is built around nothing but a big party. I have never seen a stadium in my life that blasts more unbelievably loud dance music literally between every snap. And forget about during timeouts and change of quarter. It, it's unbelievable to the point, and listen, I don't want to sound like an old guy here. I know I'm an older guy, but yeah, I'm 53. I'm not 80. I'm telling you, by the third quarter, it'd be, it had become so overbearing that me and others in my section were literally putting our fingers in our ears. That's how bad it was. And it's, it's, I mean, also taking out of the equation the fact that it was dance music, which I hate. I'm just talking in general. It's numbing. It is idiotically ridiculous. I tweeted out some of the clips of what goes on during downtime. There isn't a chance in hell that you're going to get anything football related. It's unbelievable. And everyone is dancing. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. There's dancers up on poles. There's dancing on the field. Every cutaway to people in the stands, are they're dancing. I felt like it was a dance contest instead of a football game. 
I'm telling you, and I'm not, I'm not, I can't stress enough, not just saying this because of my, my football issues, if you will. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. So I guess, you know, if you want to go and you want to have a party and you want to celebrate and you want to dance for, for three and a half hours while a football game just happens to be going on, that's the place to go because that's about half of what goes on at uh, AT&T Stadium during a Cowboys game. People waving the pom-poms, wearing all their Cowboys gear, I think about half of them could probably tell you who was actually on the team. Weird. Really, as a guy who grew up sitting on sheets of ice at Giant Stadium where there's no cheerleaders and living and dying on every snap and watching every replay when you, when we had the screens up or whatever, I mean, it's just a completely different experience of trying to watch football. And it's not for me. It's not for real football fans, in my view. Anyway, that being said, Cowboys won fair and square. They were, without a doubt, the better team. The Giants looked like they had a lot of issues on offense. And you know, it's one game, but still, it's a big game, and we'll see what happens. I wasn't happy with the outcome, but my assessment of going there has nothing to do with the game or the team. It just as a football experience, it's like, what What are we doing here? Uh, what else? What else do I need to tell you before we get to our interview? I don't know. I think... I think for the most part, that covers it. You got the festival, the big weekend I got coming up this weekend. A lot of big stuff going on. Uh, October 22nd, I'm back in Tulsa. The Warrant Firehouse Show, the IDL Ballroom. So if you're in the Tulsa area, come out and join me for that. That should be a lot of fun, too. The Dio Cancer Fund stuff. Some more things coming up. Just follow on social media. Keep in touch that way. All right, so let's get ready for the Deep Purple Town Hall. Again, these town hall interviews, as you're about to hear, are done in front of a live audience. They, the band, uh, Don Airy and Steve Morse did not join the band for this interview, but it was pretty darn cool to spend some time with three-fifths of the surviving members of the Mark II lineup. Of course, the only one that wasn't there was Richie Blackmore, but he is talked about, as you're about to hear. And when I ask these guys the question about Blackmore potentially returning to Deep Purple, they each individually chime in on it and listen to what they all have to say. It is really, really candid and telling, in my opinion. So definitely have a listen as we get ready to settle in for Deep Purple, this week's interview on the Eddie Trunk Podcast. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. So are you guys looking for some qualified candidates for a job that you're looking to fill? You want the best candidates, right? Well, with ZipRecruiter, you can post your job to a hundred plus, yes, a hundred plus job sites with just one click. Then their powerful technology matches the right people to your job better than anyone else. That's why ZipRecruiter is different. Unlike other job sites, ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a qualified quality candidate through the site within one day. No juggling emails or calls to your office. You simply screen, rate, and manage candidates all in one place with ZipRecruiter's easy-to-use dashboard. 
Find out today why ZipRecruiter has been used by businesses of all sizes to find the most qualified job candidates with immediate results. And right now, my listeners can post jobs on ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash trunk, T-R-U-N-K. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash trunk. One more time, try it for free. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash trunk. Here at Podcast One, we love hearing from you. We read every tweet and comment you send our way. So don't miss your chance to take our summer listener survey. Just go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Or go to podcastone.com slash mysurvey. It only takes a few minutes, and it gives you the opportunity to make a direct impact on your favorite shows. Tell us how you really feel so we can get to know you better. We value your thoughts and participation. So check out the survey at podcastone.com slash mysurvey. Or click on the survey banner on podcast. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. All right, the Eddie Trunk Podcast is back, and it's time now to get to our interview with the members of Deep Purple. Their new album is out there right now. Be sure to check it out. It's called Infinite. And we talk about that. We talk about a potential reunion with Blackmore. We talk about how much longer Purple could be going. And we talk about what at the time was their current tour uh, going out with Alice Cooper. So without further ado, Ian Ian Pace, Ian Gillen, Roger Glover, Deep Purple on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast, courtesy of my radio show on Sirius XM, Trunk Nation, which, again, you can hear live Monday through Friday, 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern time on Volume Channel 106, replaying every night, 9 to 11 p.m. Eastern. Enjoy this interview, you guys, with the true, true legends right here. We will introduce uh, the guys that we have uh, uh, furthest away from me, down on the end there, Ian Gillen. Good to see you, Ian. Thank you. And in the middle seat, the man who has been in every single version of Deep Purple since day one. Uh, the other guys are just new guys, right, Ian, at this point? I, that's the way I look at them, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ian Pace is here. Good to see you, man. Thank you. And uh, closest to me, Roger Glover. Hi, Roger. Thank you. So before I guess we talk a little bit about some of the the incredible history of Deep Purple, which the three of you were were such a huge part of, as I mentioned, Ian Pace, a part of all of it. Uh, let's talk about what's happening now, because just the other day, Alice Cooper was here doing the same thing you guys are doing right now. I know you're currently out on tour with Alice. How, how's that been going? It's great. Right. It's a, it's a great bill, actually, because there's three different kinds of music. Uh-huh. And uh, that's refreshing these days, because a lot of... Uh, Shows that it's the same kind of band followed by the same kind of band followed by the same kind of band. But this is three entirely different bands. This sort of a jazzy Edgar Winter, mm-hmm. um, Alice, which I refer to as uh, Broadway on Wheels, <laughs> and uh, and Little Old Us. Ian Gillen, have you been inspired seeing Alice to maybe come out with a snake or anything like that? Maybe <laughs> incorporate into the show. There's some things I can't say, uh, <laughs> but. Um, Alice is always great uh, entertainment, absolutely fantastic, yeah, so I listen to it every night. And uh, with the greatest respect, my one of my all-time heroes is Edgar Winter, so, I mean, ever since I heard Tobacco Road on Entrance album, um, I've been a great follower. So we've worked with him a couple of times, and uh, I always make sure I get there in time to hear his whole set. Um, yeah. So, yeah, and 
it's a privilege and an honor to work with these people. Yeah. Ian Pace, for you, is it important to have a, a varied set when you tour these days? Do you like having the variety with the bands around you? Well, if you're lucky enough to go on last, if you're the guys with the, your name at the top of the, the bill, you know, if the audience have had five or six hours of the same sort of music and it's a similar sort of music to what you're going to do, quite often by the time you get on stage, the audience is cooked. You know, they've had all they can take, right. and then it becomes very difficult. Whereas if you change the style of music, it stays interesting. Not, not just for the, the guys touring, but for the audience as well. They, they, can, they can get that, that little break, that little change of direction, and it keeps it right, keeps it fresh. You know, it might be, it might be crazy to think this with, with artists like all three, as you mentioned, Edgar Winter, Alice, and yourselves, who've been doing rock music now literally for decades, to think that maybe some fans are coming and being, you know, for one band and being turned on to the other. Yeah. But I'm sure that even after all these years, there are, there are Alice fans that are seeing maybe Deep Purple for the first time in a while and vice versa. Have you picked up on any of that? Have you seen that in the audience at all? Yeah, I, I personally go out and interview all the audience. To find out <laughs> <laughs> One would imagine so, yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that would be the idea is to let everybody know what, what you're doing now because there's this, there are people that get kind of stuck in a certain era for certain bands and maybe that doesn't, they're not pulled into what these bands are doing now, like what Deep Purple is now after all these years. As I yeah. say to the crowd, we've got, we, we try to progress. Um, and like everyone does in life, things move on, you know, so you evolve. You, you don't play the same songs you did when you were 19 years old and uh so occasionally we've got to slip in a new song from a new album and put that in the set and kind of balance it out with recognizable material but um i have to say now that uh, you know yeah i know i understand it's new material you never heard it before but you've got to eat your greens you know it's good for you <laughs> well so. well uh, uh, ian you you'll love this then just minutes ago on uh, on my show here on volume i took a call from a listener in Boston who had just seen you guys, and he was uh, extremely upset because there was not more material from the newest album and the last couple of records. Well, we do have a problem with that, and the problem is not limited to us, but when you have a three-act show, by the nature of the time you have, everybody cuts down on the time that they've got. And, you know, you can, you can only squeeze so many songs into the minutes you have. And you understand for... The guy who wants to see the new material, there are probably a hundred people who just came to see what they know. Right. So you just got to you've got to walk that tightrope, and you, you try and get it right. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you do. But you know you you can't please everybody all the time. Right. You do your best you can. Yeah. Right. It's 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 a you're right. It's definitely a balance, especially when you look at a catalog like Deep Purple has. You've got you're always going to have people that will be like, you didn't do anything from this era, you didn't do any, you know, and then, of course, there's not even getting to the, the newer music that you're doing, which I'm sure the whole reason why you make new music, Roger Glover, is Man. that you want people to hear it, right? Well, America's kind of a special place because you're kind of pigeonholed as a classic rock act. So you, the only exposure you get is really most of the old songs. You, you don't get the new songs played that very right. much, so the, a general awareness is not that great. So uh, you know, by uh, for the for that reason, we just have to play as, as many so-called hits 
as possible while throwing in whatever new ones we can. So it, it is difficult. Yeah, no, it's 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 definitely something that's a, a big peeve of mine as somebody that follows and, and appreciates new music from artists that have been doing it for a long time. I mean, I, I love and support it. I know that it's difficult, though. I go to the shows as well, and you'll never see a, a bathroom line back up quicker than when the singer says, we're going to do four or five new ones in a row. Yeah. And, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. it's a big tune out for a lot of people. It makes it difficult for you guys up there, too, right? We learned a lesson the other night. Um, we were trying to put smoke on the water, sort of more or less in the set, towards the end of the set. But we noticed that as soon as that riff comes on, a good sort of 20% of the people get up and leave. They want to beat traffic? Because they've seen, they want to beat the traffic. They want, you know, <laughs> they've, they've seen their hit and bang. So we've, we've just changed So we've that. fixed them now. Yeah, they've got to wait till the end. <laughs> God could, forbid you open with it. Well, we tried that, right? We tried that once. We teach it a lesson. You know, the, the song's got too big for its boots. You've this, opened with Smoke this, on the Water? I think we did once. As a, as an, it didn't work. No. Have you ever done a show and not played Smoke on the Water since this song was created? Yes. Was there a riot? Um, actually, <laughs> th there was. There weren't a lot of smiles. <laughs> We've had, uh, I think, to date, about four or five riots that were serious. I mean, uh, but, sorry to use the name serious, but <laughs> serious. That's okay. Um, uh, mostly in the early days. And is when... Uh, one of our number decided he didn't want to do an encore, which was smoke, and people went nuts, and we lost. I can't imagine who that might have been. We lost our gear several times. We, lost, you know, they came and smashed all the gear up, and it's you know, oh pretty, pretty daunting. Yeah. Sometimes you've got to be very careful what you decide to do and what you decide not to do. The ramifications of you make the wrong decision can be very dangerous. Mm. You know, and for the sake of uh, playing music for four or five minutes, maybe you shouldn't make that silly choice. Mm. Yeah. Ian Gillen, do you still get excited about singing Smoke on the Water after all these years? I do. Or, you do? I do. Yeah. Um, you know, I, it, it's a long story. I can encapsulate that with a remark from Pavarotti. When I sang with Pavarotti a couple of times, he actually wanted to be a pop star. He was kept saying, let's make an album together and do this. He wanted to do a status quo song and a few other bits and pieces, which was ludicrous. But anyway, lovely man. But he, he'd seen us... He said, I'm so jealous of you. We were singing Ness and Dorma together twice in, uh, in Italy. And uh, he said, you know, I'm so jealous of you because I've heard you sing Smoke and Water many, many times. And uh, it's different every time. Your interpretation, you know, you're, you're driving along or you're singing behind the beat. Your expressions are slightly different as you interpret it every night. Just slightly different. Said if I did that with any of my famous arias, I'd be crucified mm. by the critics and by the crowd, who are very knowledgeable about opera. But um, they want it to be identical every time, and the only thing that they respect, they expect technical perfection. But they want um, the only difference, I suppose, is intensity. And mm. uh, so, smoke for me is. Um, I recall every night the um, the events uh, that, that took place. Not just the fire, but the whole making of the album. I mean, it's kind of not really right in my face, but it's the whole thing is there with memories. You know, you hear about some, somebody, oh, do you remember this or remember that? And you don't exactly, but it either promotes a smile or a frown. And that's one thing that always promotes a smile to me. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, the audience, of course, gives you so much. They're the sixth member of the band. So um, there's no escaping it. You just got to. And it's a natural thing. The guys play it differently every night. It's, it's a subtle difference, but it, it means a lot. You've got to be on exactly and in the, in the, the whole package with the band. So 
Um, yeah, I get excited about it. I get excited about the whole show because there's so much improvisation in a Deep Purple show that um, you can't sleepwalk your way through it. It's, you've got to be on all the time because you never know when... Uh, this comes from the early days when drum kits would collapse in the middle of a show or <laughs> guitars would start squeaking and feeding back and all that sort of thing. And so you had to always be ready for a, comp, for a you know, bit of improvisation. So, yeah, I get excited and I look forward to it every night. Yeah, in a, in a lot of ways, Deep Purple are one of the original jam bands because you do improvise and you're never quite sure what direction the songs are going to go in. It's scary. We never sure how it's going to finish. That's the problem. <laughs> well, is it, well, well, you guys, I'm, I'm sure that, that Roger and, and Ian Pace, I mean, you guys bass play, you know, being the rhythm section in the band, you, you have some idea if you're going to go off on, on, on a, a well, song. Well, I do. He doesn't. <laughs> are you the one that leads it, Ian? Does it start with you? Uh, in, in back in the days when Roger joined the band, I explained it to him. Oh yeah, <laughs> I said, "I lead, you follow." <laughs> but I, over the years, we've come to this uh, subconscious understanding. Uh, we do stuff on stage, and it's just a look. And he knows that it's going to be one or two or three things in two or three bars time. We don't need to work it out. You just go, and there's an understanding, and that just comes through repetition of playing together, playing together, and it's a it's a great thing. And really good rhythm sections have that. They don't need to talk it out. They can do it with with a with emotion, with a look, with just a little smile. And you you find something that sounds so off the cuff, but it's it's sort of not programmed so much. But you just know something's going to happen, and you just flow with it. It's and not such a jump either, because everything's normally in a relative rhythm or a relative key. So that you, it's not such a stretch that you're doing something completely avant-garde. Um, you know, it it's it's understood, and you might have done something similar a yeah. few months ago. So, yeah. and I, I imagine you know Steve Morris, who's played guitar in the band now for it's probably twenty years, I would yeah. think, right? Twenty three, I think. Yeah, something like that. I mean, Steve, Steve, because of the background he comes from, I would think really sort of appreciated that aspect of what Deep Purple does. I would think he would be a natural uh, in that in that realm. He's different well, he's, every he, night. He said actually uh, a long time ago. He said. He enjoys playing with this band because he gets to stretch out more than any other band he's played in. Yeah. Well, that's saying to, something. He doesn't have to play so many parts. He just uh, has fun. Yeah. I find it really frustrating because and there's one thing I hate about really, really good musicians is that they won't repeat themselves. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, they hit something good in a jam one night and I go, oh, man, that's so cool. That is so cool. They'll never play it again. It's gone then. <laughs> they'll, they'll never play it again because they think it's demeaning uh, <laughs> to be repetitive and you'll find that with jazz players um, all the time they'll be you know trying to use phrases and patterns that uh, are always fresh they they come back to it eventually but it's it's um it, it's not in their minds to be repetitive at all now ian gillen i know that as the singer in the band when these guys go off on that stuff i mean sometimes you're out there and you'll You'll come out with a tambourine or a drum or something, or sometimes you can just take a nice long break, can't you? Sometimes I'm around the pub. <laughs> <laughs> What's the longest you've ever been off stage in the history of Deep Purple? Off stage. Yeah, off stage. Oh. Like, while they're out there, they're just gone. I used to go to the pub. <laughs> when, when we played in theaters, there was uh, the average solo, Richie or John, used to be about 20 minutes. I mean, it was, it was just mayhem. And... Uh, they would stop, walk around, have a drink, and carry on playing. And it was it was completely random. So yeah, I used to go and have a roadie say because there was always a trigger at the end of a solo, which alerted everyone to the fact that 
we might be all coming back together on stage and <laughs> carrying on the show. You hear the word so, might. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, one of the roadies used to come around, and I'd be playing cards or drinking whiskey in the club. And, <laughs> and uh, so I'd get back normally in plenty of time, normally. He could only be paid half because he's only out there half the don't, time. Don't, right? don't think that. That's a great <laughs> idea, right? Just keep coming up with these good ideas. I like this. <laughs> uh, after all these decades, right, you get it figured out. The one guy in the current band that we haven't touched on who's, who's uh, been in for a little while, but certainly a newer than Steve Morse and uh, replaced the late, great John Lord is Don Airy. And, and talk about how Don is his mesh now. He's done a few records with you guys. He's done a number of tours. Talk about uh, how he's, he's worked into this, if you want to pick that up, Roger. If, if we hadn't picked Don, I think we'd have a really hard time finding a musician like Don because they're, they're rare. Most keyboard players are there playing chords, you know, sweetening behind the guitar riffs or whatever. You very rarely get someone who can really, really play. And Don is a multi-talented player. He plays... Uh, rock and roll and jazz and classical and whatever and but he knows how to rock out too he's he's really a rocker but he's got the technique that enables him to play anything he wants and uh so during his solo uh, someone told me a couple of years ago he reminds me of uh someone who who can move from one genre to another without pause and without even practicing it you know he's extremely fluid and Don, I can't imagine anyone else other than Don. No one can replace John. No. He's not a replacement. He's just a new guy. Right. Uh, John's irreplaceable, as as Richie was. You know, you, the only thing you can do when you have a new person in the band is to change. And Don brought a whole fresh approach to stuff. Um, and his sense of humor is great. He's like he's one of us. And he grew up listening to Deep Purple, thinking one day I'd love to play with that band, wow. never thinking that it would happen. Right. So it's a, well, without it's a dream John, for him. Without John, there would be no Don. Yeah. Don was training to be classical keyboard player, pianist, and he came along to a Deep Purple show. I think it was in Manchester, somewhere in England. and uh, Up north. Up north, yeah. And uh, he saw John, and he said, I want to do that. Yeah. And then his direction sort of changed. So, no, John, I don't think we have the Don that we have today. So, you know, a logical uh, fit. When, when John left us, Don was really the same generation, same culture, same loves. And so it was, a, it was like a jigsaw puzzle. That bit goes right in that hole just there, and it fit perfectly. And it was organic timing. Human chemistry is one of the most impossible things to create artificially. When we all started in... When, I, when Roger and I joined the band in 69, we'd just finished going through our formative years, copying our heroes, being semi-pro, pro for a few years, made a few records, just on the cusp of finding our voice. And that's what happened at the same time as everyone did in the band. And uh, John's background um, gave us that extra element, the orchestral composition, the Jimmy Smith jazz, um, same as we got from Ian, the big band swing. I mean... This guy swings more than any drummer in rock, and Roger's folk music and appreciation of soul and blues and that sort of thing, it, it, it all came together. Don fitted in. John was tired and wanted to quit uh, a year or so before he did to concentrate on doing some individual projects. Right, because it's important to note that Don yeah. was in the band while John was still alive. Yes, absolutely. He, 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 absolutely. As John retired, yeah. Yeah, it was, in fact, they appeared together once or twice. Oh, did they? Yeah, John came on the stage in, in the darkness and... 
hid down behind the keyboard. <laughs> oh, and Don popped down, and John popped up. It was fantastic. <laughs> it was a great night. Yeah, with great uh, goodwill, John was, uh, Don was embraced into the band with all of John's uh, encouragement. And, uh, but the, the point was, Don came in with 100% energy, and John was a little tired at the time, wasn't he? He was, he was backing off the challenging uh, parts of the performance, and you could almost say at the end he was going through the motions and uh, wanted to hit the road on his own. Yeah, he'd fallen out of love with being on he the had road. He mm-hmm. touring yeah. mostly, yeah, not yeah. the music. Yeah. So Don came in at full speed and, and lifted us again like that. When John, when John was still in the band, he, he was uh, ill one time and he couldn't do the first four dates of a tour. That's right. Um, so we, we got hold of Don and said, can you, can you step in for John for four dates? And the first one was in uh, Scandinavia somewhere, and he'd had a, a tape of the show, and he sort of learned it on his own, and it was a sort of baptism of fire. We, he came in, and uh, I think we had a sound check. We didn't have much time to rehearse or anything like that. And uh, it was touch and go, lots of countings in, and uh, horse's eyes, as we call it, now's, you know, etc. <laughs> and Don did a pretty good job, and I said to him after the show, I said, Don, you, you did great tonight. And he said, yeah. He said, I tried to be John Lord for the first 20 seconds. He said, but then I realized I just had to be Don Airy. Mm. I said, you couldn't have said anything better because yeah, you yeah. can't be a copier. Right. You've got to be your own person, and, right. that, and Don is that. The new Deep Purple album is out now. It's called Infinite. I want to talk a little bit more about this. Deep Purple out on tour, as I mentioned, or as we talked about, with Alice Cooper and Edgar Winter. Uh, so much more to cover. We have a live audience sitting right in front of us. we got some questions that they're going to be asking the guys as well. So we'll come right back with more with Ian Gillen, Ian Pace, Roger Glover of Deep Purple, right after this. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, let me tell you guys about Bluehost because they are the top-rated website provider powering over 2 million websites. Yes, 2 million. So there's got to be a reason why, right? Whether you're a blogger, small business owner, Bluehost has everything you need to build the website you've always wanted. And Bluehost is the best tool to build, host, and manage your personal or small business website. Bluehost gives you the freedom to design your website your way without being limited to templates. And Bluehost makes hosting your website stress-free so you can get back to what matters most. Simple enough for beginners, powerful enough for even the most advanced users. Ultimate flexibility and control with fully customizable templates and third-party app support. True reliability with 99.9% uptime guarantee and automated updates. Maximum security including malware malware monitoring and protection and automatic secure WordPress installs, 24-7 tech support, online resources, and expert services to help you succeed and save time. Bluehost, the top recommended WordPress host on WordPress.org since 2005. And here's the best part, you guys. Listeners of mine, listeners of the Eddie Trunk Podcast, you save 50%, 50% when you sign up. Bluehost.com slash Eddie Trunk. That's B L U E H O S T. Bluehost.com slash Eddie Trunk. 50% off. Bluehost.com slash Eddie Trunk. 
Hey, my name is James Petrogallo. I'm Jimmy Wisman. Please join us every single Tuesday for Crime in Sports. So fun. You like sports? You don't have to. Let's just set up a context and find out what an idiot did wrong. What I do like you say? it. I'm in. We're going to do that each and every week. We take an athlete, we break him down, we make fun of everything he's ever done. Yeah. But in order to do that, we have to build up and tell you all about their career and get you to what, James? To grace. That's and then right. watch them fall from grace, Who as they inevitably like do. Join us. Big criminals, small yeah. criminals, sports you've never heard of. Yeah. doesn't matter. It's the crime. It's the comedy. It's such a good time. Join us it. every Tuesday for Crime in Sports. You can join us every Tuesday at PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, or subscribe on all Apple products. Find us every Tuesday and laugh at people. A&E's Emmy-nominated. Emmy-nominated. That's what I'm trying to say. Emmy-nominated. <laughs> Groundbreaking docu-series. Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath. Season 2 is running right now. Are you watching it? Check it out. New episodes on Tuesdays, 9, 8 Central on A&E. Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath, follows Leah along with high-level former Scientology executives and church members as they delve deep into shocking stories of abuse, heartbreak, and harassment experienced by those who have left the church and spoken publicly about their experiences. you got to see this show, folks. This season, Leah continues her quest to give a voice to victims of the Church of Scientology. The series also explores accounts of former members whose lives have been significantly impacted by the Church's practices. Leah Remini taking action, turning survivors into fighters, revealing truths, and seeking justice. Be sure to catch up on episodes on the A&E app and at AETV.com. So you can catch the old episodes there or previous uh, episodes from Season 1, and be sure to check out the new ones, Tuesdays, 9, 8 Central, on A&E, Leah Remini, Scientology and the Aftermath, Season 2. This This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. I guess the, the, the next logical question that I'm going to try to get to the bottom of before we get some of our audience questions in is, where, you know, you talk about John at the end being kind of a little tired of being on the road and, and, and not wanting to, to do it anymore. There seems to be great conflicting stories from uh, different people in the Deep Purple world as to if this is a final go-around for the band. The, the tour is being called and billed the long goodbye. So I guess from the fans' perspective, long is in a 10-year goodbye or long is in this is it. Uh, let's let's go around the horn and get everybody's take on this because I'm curious, starting with you, Ian It's Gillen. important to get this right. There have been so many final tours and farewell tours that um, have never actually been that, and people keep coming back and repeating. We had a slightly difficult situation because um, pretty much everyone in the band was ill uh, for a while. Uh, a couple of years ago. And uh, so various people on the business side, connections, said, you know, you want to call it a day. Um, well, yeah, okay, but, yeah, you know, nobody wants to make that decision. So let's, let's find a way of describing it. So it's kind of the beginning of the end, but we don't know where the end is going to be. And right now everyone's feeling better, so I think we'll probably be going on for a bit longer than we planned when we started this. <laughs> So everyone's regained their health, and uh, um, I, I think it's it, we don't want to kid anyone that this is the <coughs> end. But you know we're all knocking on a bit, so it's inevitable that we're going to stop sooner or later. 
But while we have our health and uh, while we're still feeling uh, excited about writing and performing, then uh, there's no reason to stop. But uh, I think at the time it was like a warning signal that we put out to everyone that, you know, it's going to slow down sooner or later and eventually stop. Ian Pace, as uh, as the guy that's been there, like I said, every single lineup, every year, every version of the band, how do you see this ending? Well, the secret is in the word long. How long is a piece of string? You know, it's, this is going to be as long as we feel that it's fun, that people want to see it, <clears throat> that we can do it properly. Um, to call an end to it, to shut that door, that's pretty scary. You know, saying we're never going to do it again. So we've never said that. We said, you know, just be aware that this may be the last major world tour we embark on. Doesn't mean say we can't say, take a little holiday and go, hey, Ian, what do you do? You want to do six, seven weeks next year? Okay, let's do that. Or make another record. We've never shut the door. People have read many things into it, <clears throat> but we left a little wriggle room there. Say, look, we never said it was the end. So just get ready for the end. That's what we've said. So while we're having fun, while people want to see it, while we think we can do new stuff and have fun with it, we'll, we'll keep it going, but maybe in a slightly more controlled way. Is this, would you guys ever, would would you just kind of, when it does end, sort of let it end sort of quietly? Or would you like to do one big final sort of farewell extravaganza? Actually, that, that's exactly uh, what I would like to do, is not name a date, because the uh, the anticlimax, the emotion, and the, uh, the, the build-up to one final date, is just too much emotion involved in that. Um, none of us could agree on the date anyway. <laughs> um, so uh, personally, I'd just rather tour and tour and tour until we come off stage one night and someone says, oh, that was the last gig. And there's no fanfare. Because I think doing a last gig and then a year later, oh, let's get back together again. There's a certain lack of dignity about that. I think when we stop, we have to stop. Um, because otherwise people say, oh, they're just doing it for the money. Or, you right. know. Well, that's but the point. The, Financially, the, it's a terrible decision to make. But emotionally, it's the right decision to make. Yeah. That was it. You know, no big fanfare. Yeah. As, as, you, as Roger said, where would you do it? Which city would you do it? Oh, you can't do one city. You've got to do 12 cities around the world. Then it's not a last show. Then it gets all confusing. So just when it goes... It goes. Yeah, and Ian Gillen, I mean, your, your friend Tony Iommi, who, of course, you were in Black Sabbath for a record and tour, and uh, you've done work with Tony. I mean, Sabbath just did that whole the end and ended in Birmingham and everything. And mm-hmm. then literally a few days later, I saw Tony say, oh, we might do a show or two again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I may have my historical or geographical facts wrong here, but I believe that in a town in America called Tombstone, they have... Uh, uh, a graveyard called Boot Hill and uh, I always remember the sign when I went there first of all here lies Lester Moore four slugs from a 44 no Lester no more and that kind of is the way I like to go up with my boots on you know it's, uh, <laughs> um, it, it, planning for the end is is very difficult you know I I don't think we've had more than a handful of meetings, band, proper band meetings, since I joined in 69. <laughs> Ian Pace is saying no to band meetings. We don't have that, that kind of, you know, let's make a plan type of meeting, which is why everything we've ever done has been so sort of random and uh, wonderfully chaotic. So uh, 
Yeah, that's my approach. Dive with my boots on, and if it, you know, if if, <laughs> if we get to the point where we're unable to actually deliver the energy, and the, then it would be a dignified time to stop too. You know, the, 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 there's a halfway house between being really good and, and dying. <laughs> so well, and as I say, as a fan, I say this all the time: the bands yeah. that I love. Uh, whether it be Deep Purple or any others, I would much rather see them end respectfully yeah, and still yeah, sounding good than have the last vision be a band that's at half capacity. Shadow, this, no, yeah, no. I mean, that's that's and there are some bands, quite frankly, that I love that that do that now. I wish they would have ended respectfully. But from what I've seen and from what I think a lot of people have seen with with you guys currently on tour and judging by the new music, you know, that shouldn't get lost in this equation. I mean, it's obviously still very important for you guys to create new music, mm. whether people want to, you know, buy it or, or hear it live or mm. whatever. But mm. from, a, from, from a standpoint of being musicians and writers, obviously, and, and Roger, you as well as a producer, it's obviously something that's very important as a part of the fabric of the band. Well, that's actually the biggest selling record we've had since 73, and internationally. Really? Yeah, it's been number one in many, many countries. So I think you have to move. You have yeah. to reinvent and you have to change and we've, uh, you know, the history of Purple is a bit like a soap opera. We've had mountains and valleys to climb and fall down. Um, and yet everyone that's come into the band has brought something very musical to it. And uh, we're not scared of change. You know, uh, when Richie left, I think many people thought that that would be the end of Purple. Mm-hmm. Um, and when Steve joined, he's not a Richie clone. He's his own man. And I think that's very, very important. And we agree. reinvented ourselves then. Yeah. Pretty much like Fleetwood Mac reinvented themselves, you know. Right. That's, I think change is very important, and uh, we've we've never shied away from that. And also, we're songwriters. If you're a songwriter, you don't stop writing songs. And it's a, a great vehicle to be a songwriter in a band that can play anything you can think of. Yeah. And it's it's very stimulating. So uh, finding Bob Ezrin, he, he brought out a lot of the, the latent songwriting talent in us. Um, I think we'd kind of... We've got fed up with making an albums. Uh, we did eight years between Rapture of the Deep and uh, Now What? Because we were too busy on the road, we were having fun. Uh, the road is where we live, and that maybe that's the difference between us and, and Black Sabbath, as you mentioned before. They don't work as, as consistently, or haven't, um, as we have in the last 20 years. They get together once in a while. They right. do But mm-hmm. we've been very consistent on the road. Um, and uh, I think that that comes out in the last two albums. Bob Ezrin brought that out in us. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, can I ask you, we, we talk about farewell tours. The, the other thing that is, of course, the, the, you know, all the rage with fans and from a business standpoint is reunion tours. And if you guys are getting ready to end, you've mentioned his name a couple times already. I didn't bring it up. You did uh, with with Richie. And, of course, he's playing rock music again. Even Steve Morris, your current guitarist, said, yeah, I mean, as a fan, it would be something I think people would want to see one last time. Going around between the three of you, you you, three-fifths of the classic Mark II lineup right here, would you in any way consider going down that road again, starting uh, with you, Ian Gillen? Me personally, no. I mean, I'm getting on great with Richie these days, but, you know, I don't think Richie's playing great these days. Right. And for that reason, mostly, um, I don't think it will work. I but you're, you're in touch with him? Through our offices, yeah, through our connections and everything else. It's, um, we, ha- we have invited each other to dinner a couple of times, but I've not been able to make it because uh, I'm in London, he's in Long Island. But... Um, 
No, I, I, I'd be against it. Ian Peace? Uh, I enjoy going on stage every night knowing that I've done with my four friends and they're all going to play every night. Yeah. Uh, that wasn't always the case and I wouldn't want to go back to that again. Uh, it's just the way the man is. He is a man of uh, great emotions. He, he works it out in black and white. There is no grey areas for Richie. I will or I won't. I like it or I don't like it. Sometimes uh, your band members can suffer from that. And uh, I want to go on stage and have fun. I don't want to go on stage and come off feeling so down and miserable. I, I'm not prepared to go back on that route again, no. And Roger, you not only worked with them, of course, in Purple, but also uh, you were part of Rainbow. So what, what's your take on it? Well, yeah, I haven't spoken to him in 20-odd uh, years. Um, not from my point of view. I, I'd be happy to talk to him. But he's you know, made himself very private. And uh, I don't think he approves of me very much because of the reunion. Uh, not the reunion, the uh, remixes and the remasters that I did of the older albums. Um, that's what I've heard anyway. Uh, you can never say never, but I would doubt it very much. Mm -hmm. um, as far as going forward, after these dates, and we're going to get the questions from the audience in a second before we wrap up, after these dates here in America, what's next for, for Deep Purple? Do you, I mean, globally still, as you mentioned, uh, Ian Gillens, the, the record's so big uh, chart-wise, and Deep Purple always was huge around the world. countries last year. Yeah, and that's that's fairly average. Between thirty and fifty countries, we play every year. Amazing. And I think um, after this, we're back into um, Scandinavia. Scandinavia, UK, um, some huge stadiums in South America, um, Brazil, Chile, Argentina, and then um, we've got a pretty interesting program next year: a few uh, European festivals and um, Eastern Hemisphere, which would be probably. I haven't got the details yet, but probably from Japan down to Australia with, you know, Hong Kong and Vietnam and Malaysia, Singapore, um, that sort of thing. And we've only been here for like four weeks. It's only 20 shows. There are more than 20 places to play in the States. Right. So I dare say we'll be back again to do some other cities next year. Yeah. Ian Pace, let me ask you this. Of course, I'm using the last name so the people listening yeah, can sure. differentiate between yeah. the Ian's. Uh, what, as the guy that's been there since day one, why do you think it is? Because Purple globally is always been so revered. Like you, there are a few bands that, you know, they have pockets, they have territories they do well in. But from where I sit, Deep Purple always globally were just a phenomenon. Why, why do you think, did that start very early or is that something that you guys built through touring in those markets? I think it's because we were always prepared to go anywhere and play as often as we could, in some sometimes in territories that have not been broken to rock and roll. When we did Japan, there'd never been a hard rock and roll band in Japan before. So that was breaking ground. Um, years ago, we played in China before that had ever really happened for a hard rock and roll band. Somebody asked us to go someplace, we go and do it. And we've always done that from uh, early 70s. So, you, you know, if you go and hit people with the music often enough, you actually build up a following, and not just in one country. You can actually say, okay, we have the world. We worked hard to get it, but we still have it. Because somebody says, do you want to play here? We go, yeah, we can do that. 
And it's fun to do it. It's amazing. We have to take another break. When we come back with three-fifths of Deep Purple, we're going to take some questions from the audience that's sitting right in front of us, waiting very patiently to talk to the guys. So uh, let's take care of uh, a couple spots here. We'll come right back with a few more minutes with Ian Pacey and Gil and Roger Glover of Deep Purple. Again, the new album is called Infinite. It's out now. Phenomenal sounding record. And, of course, the guys are still on tour here in America. So check and see if there's a date coming to your area, along with Alice Cooper and, of course, Edgar Winter in the opening slot. We'll come right back with a few more questions for the guys next. The Eddie Trunk Podcast. Hey, you guys, I would greatly appreciate your help with this. It's helping that my podcast stays free to download to you, which is how you want it, right? With minimal ads. We ask you to take a survey. It would take no more than five minutes, and the responses will help align advertisers to you. So you guys hear about ads and products when I have commercials that only you guys would care about, stuff targeted towards you. It helps us in that way. So you don't hear me doing a commercial or a commercial on here about something that honestly isn't something that you're into or would be of interest to you. The survey is short. It's completely anonymous. Again, it'll take you no more than five minutes. And I would greatly appreciate you doing this. Go to podcastone.com slash my survey or go to podcastone.com and click on the survey banner. Now, if you filled out a survey in the past, thanks for doing that. But we still need you to do this one and do it again, please. So thank you, all of us at the Eddie Trunk Podcast and Podcast One. You're doing a huge favor if you can just take five minutes out of your day. I know everybody's got a lot going on. You don't want to deal with this sort of stuff, but it really will help us out. Take no more than five minutes. If you're a fan of the podcast, we appreciate you doing it. Again, podcastone.com slash my survey or go to podcastone.com and just click on the survey banner. Thanks for your support and thanks for taking the time to complete the survey and helping us out. Fantasy football season is here, and we've got the best fantasy football podcast anywhere because we've got the best fantasy football analyst in Evan Silva from rotoworld.com. Make sure you subscribe to the Fantasy Feast podcast so you can hear me, Ross Tucker, get Evan's rankings and draft strategies to give you the edge you need this year. That's the Fantasy Feast podcast, available on the Podcast One app or wherever podcasts are found. True car, ladies and gentlemen, when you are looking to buy a car, you want to make sure you're getting real pricing on actual inventory. Otherwise, what good is it? Because a lot of times that's just not how it works. People can figure cars online only later to find out they're not available. Well, with true car, you get real pricing on actual inventory. This is not pricing offered by true car, but pricing from an actual dealer and not just any dealer, but a true car certified dealer carefully curated network of dealers committed to transparency and offering you a competitive market price. Using TrueCar, you can easily find the car you want. Next, TrueCar will show you what others in your area paid for the same car you're looking for, and now you know what a fair price is, so you can feel confident. Over 3 million cars have been sold to TrueCar users by the TrueCar Certified Dealer Network, and there's over 13,000 True Car Certified Dealers nationwide. You'll work directly with a True Car Certified Dealer. Contact True Car users. They are more likely to enjoy a faster buying process when they connect with True Car Certified Dealers. True Car users, you ready for this? You save an average of over 3000 bucks off MSRP. So when you're ready to buy, visit True Car to enjoy a more confident car buying experience. 
Some features are not available in all states. This is the Eddie Trunk Podcast. We're back with more with Ian Gillen, Ian Pace, and Roger Glover. Deep Purple on this week's Eddie Trunk Podcast. Um, my question is, what do you feel is the biggest misconception about the band? Well. <laughs> this would be Ian Gillen answering. Yeah. Okay. Um, I don't like the classic rock um, designation um, because it's like a tombstone hanging around your neck. Uh, people think you're done and dusted and that's it. Um, I don't like the heavy metal connection because we have humour and light and shade and texture and dynamics in our music. And I think that's a misnomer as far as we're concerned. I have no disregard for um, heavy metal. I like it, a lot of it. Um, and a- apart from that, um, I have a massive list of answers, but they'll do for now. <laughs> but this spoken from a man, Ian Gillen, who probably created the blueprint for heavy metal screams with child in time <laughs> whether you like it or not you basically laid the blueprint for all metal That's singing it. with that you know in cl- in classical singing in the definitions of all the things that we have there there are categories of uh style of voice uh bass bass baritone tenor um alto um uh falsetto and uh Castrato. Exactly. <laughs> but that's a different kind of thing altogether. And there's, no, there's no category for, my, for what I do. And it's not screaming, it's singing. Uh, when we had uh, the previous band I was in with Roger Glover, we had a girl who used to go out front and sing a few songs in every set. I used to go to the keyboard and play a few crappy chords and uh, uh, sing her parts or sing the high parts. So I learned to sing that style a long time ago. I call it screaming if you like, but it's kind of, you know, Oh, I meant it with no disrespect. No, it's I know, amazing. I know, I know, it's amazing. Screaming is screaming. You know, yeah. there's, there's, uh, screaming is wah. You know, that's that's screaming. God, it's amazing still to this day. I just listened to it the other day, uh, as is so much of the vocals of, of, of course, Ian Gillen. Um, Ian Pace, misconceptions about Purple that bother you? Um, it, it changes in different parts of the world. And we, we tend to have uh, a problem in here in the US and the UK where the control of the mass media basically separates the generations uh, the younger generation are told oh you this is a, this is not hip anymore you don't need to go and see that and the older generation is oh well, yeah, you you just do this you don't do anything else and most of the world when we do a show we get a mixed audience there can be 16 year olds at the front and maybe 65-year-olds at the back, and everyone between, you know, the ages between. And they make great shows. And this is belief that you, in certain countries where you, you, know, you can't go and see this because it's not cool. And that is really annoying mm. because when we do these shows with this great expansive age, we see everybody doing the same thing at the same time. When it's exciting, everybody stands up. When it's great, they smile and laugh and clap and... You know, it doesn't matter whether they're 15, 25, 40, 65. They all have the same experience. And that, to take that away from them by basically brainwashing them and telling them they shouldn't do it, that's really awful. And that, that, that misconception that you shouldn't go and see something, when really you should go and check it out, mm. that drives me nuts. Roger, anything you want to add? 
Um, when uh, Richie and John first came to see episode six to check, basically to check Ian Gillen out first and foremost, um, I didn't meet them that night. It was a small club, and uh, I looked at them and I thought, I don't like these people. They look dangerous. They looked like someone I didn't really want to know. Um, and it wasn't until a couple of weeks later when Ian and I went up to actually play some of our songs, and that was the start of my uh, tenure with, with Purple, I found that John Lord, far from being the dangerous person that I thought he was, was actually the most wonderful, kind, eloquent, intelligent man. And Richie is a soft-spoken, intelligent man. And I always imagined other people thinking of us as... They, we should be walking around, you know, dragging a girl with one hand and a bottle of whiskey <laughs> in the other. And, and yet we were all kind of actually very decent people and, and kind people. And, you know. So don't judge a book by its cover. No, yeah. exactly don't not. buy into the stereotypes. Yep. Yep. I, I completely love that idea. Uh, Mike Cooper, uh, Copperman. Mike, are you? Hey, Mike. Thank you guys for the music. Uh, thank you, Mike. Um, what do you feel is your most underrated album or song? Mm. Mm. It'll all be, we'll have different ideas, won't we? Yeah. Ian yeah. Gillen, favorite, maybe underrated album? That might be a little easier than song, I would think, because you've got so many songs. Fireball. Fireball. Without any doubt, underrated, because everyone freaked out. Oh, it's different in rock. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> it was showing... An, other dimensions of purple, more of the funky side, more of the blues side, more of the soul side. And, uh, you know, we're not a unidimensional outfit. We, we draw from many influences in our formative years. And so, uh, and that got a lot of criticism and, uh, because it, didn't, it wasn't identical to Enrock. So I, I think that's the most underrated album. I'm really curious on your answer on this, Ian Pace, because, again, you've been through every incarnation of this band, so you mm. have a really... You could pick from anything here. And it's a difficult thing to actually make a decision on that. Mm. Um, I think every album we've made has had the recognition it deserves. You know, music is it's an in, intangible thing. You like it, you don't like it. You know, the audience lets you know when you've got it exactly right. So I couldn't pick one album out and say, this should have done better than it did. Uh, I can look back at everything objectively and say, well... Yeah, it's okay, but that one's better. So you know, I I can't I can't make that decision. So you feel like they everything the kind of finds its level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. That's it. yeah. Roger, anyone from you? Any? I can't. I'm the same as Ian. I can't. I can't think of one really. Uh, you tend to judge albums by how much they sell, right? Or how much how high they got in the charts. And uh, I don't really follow those that much. Uh, I can't think of a, an album that I would think is underrated. I mean, they all have something to offer. Right. Uh, where is Yasmin Namini? Hey, Yasmin? you got to think of a new question now. <laughs> the good news is I have a new question. First of all, I'm a huge fan, so thank you for being in New York City. Uh, here's my question. So you've played with some amazing people other than yourselves. Mm. Who's on your list of people that you would still love or bands that you'd still love to play with? They're all dead. <laughs> unfortunately, that's true. Unfortunately, it's it's almost true. Um, about uh, seventeen seventeen odd years ago, I got the chance to play with Paul McCartney, just for a few months, just a few little shows, and did a record with him, and that was great. I have played with some really great musicians. I played with some really great bass players. 
but playing with him was very, very special. Um, I always put it like this. If a bass player plays two to the bar, you know, dum, dum, it can be very country. The really good ones play two to the bar, and it's rock and roll. McCartney plays rock and roll. He is a great songwriter, great singer, but a fabulous bass player for a drummer to sit with. Just absolute perfection. You did live shows with him? You toured with him? We did a couple of um, uh, live benefit shows for his Peter thing, you know, the animal protection stuff. Right. Had a great, great deal of fun. Well, it was a good band. We had Dave Gilmore from Pink Floyd, you know. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it was an okay band, so it was a great deal of fun. Yeah. So, you know, playing with other people is a great deal of fun, but when you come back to Purple, it's like opening your own door. You're at home again. You know, when, you, when we're doing it, we're playing our own music. When you're guesting, you're playing somebody else's music. And that's slightly different. I love the stuff you did with Gary Moore, too. The late, great Good Gary Moore. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great stuff as well. Uh, Roger, any people you would, would love I'll, to play with? I would love to have played with um, Little Feet. Mm. I loved Little Feet. Uh, when I first heard Little Feet, it blew me away. And the most original songwriting and phrasing. And uh, I just loved everything they did back in those days, so. I don't know if I'm good enough to be the bass player at Little Feet, but I would have <laughs> liked to have had a go anyway. And Ian Gillen, of course, you've done a lot of different things. And as you mentioned, uh, you know, from, from working with uh, people from all different genres of music to, to making a record that I think over the decades has taken on a much greater status than it did when it first came out, Born Again with Sabbath. Um, you did that Gillen's Inn record that was really fun not too long ago. Anything that, that you'd like to do that's, that's on the bucket list before you retire? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's a man of very few words. <laughs> moving right along. Maybe we had him going earlier. I, I think, um, I think um, you know, we've all moved on with the generation. I, there's a lot of things that uh, are relative to the kind of music we do that would work well, but there's, there's, there's nothing happening, uh, as far as I'm concerned, these days uh, that would draw me in that direction. Um, I, think, uh, I think I've mixed with all the people I had the opportunity to. I didn't choose it. They came along. Right. And the, the best things that happen are purely spontaneous. Um, we did a... Um, we, you know, when you're doing a benefit album or something like that, you, you come up with mixing with loads of people you never expected to, and it's wonderful. I'm doing a tour in Russia next year, and uh, a guy is on the show that I've never met before, but I'm just so excited about this. Um, so maybe this is the answer to your question. Is Paul Young, who's um, uh, doing a few songs on this uh, orchestral tour. Mm -hmm. And I've always adored his voice. I think it's just one of the greatest soul voices I've ever heard. So that's going to be fun. Do we have two minutes? So we have to. We're sorry, uh, Brett Silman, wherever you are. But <laughs> Bre Brett, Brett wanted to ask real quick if you guys had any uh, times hanging out with ACDC or Bon Scott back in the day. I still got a headache. <laughs> <laughs> I no, think that answers it all. <laughs> I think that more or less sums it up, Brett. Right? I mean, that's about as close as you're going to get to an answer on that. What more needs to be said? Well, well, guys, uh, on behalf of the audience here in the room and everybody listening, thank you for the, the decades of incredible music and uh, the, mu the music you're still making as well with Infinite, which really is a, a fantastic record. And uh, it's great to have a band doing it as long as you have, still doing it so well, still creating new stuff that is still so, so relevant and so strong. And uh, it, it's amazing. I, 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 for one, I think I join with everybody in the room. 
hope that the long goodbye is really, really long, right? <laughs> we hope for it's, thank you. And we hope so to uh, we hope to be able to do some more with you somewhere down the line, and cool. uh, and and look forward to to more tours and more records as as long as you're up for it and can still do it as well as you have been. So thank you, everybody. Again, Ian Gillen, Ian Pace, Roger Glover. The new album is Infinite. Check it out. It is uh, available now wherever you get music these days and on <laughs> vinyl. Uh, you know, talk about what's old again is new again. I yeah, mean, you know, what right. who would ever have thought. Do, do we have a Deep Purple 8 track coming soon? <laughs> <laughs> cassette versions of that. Is there? I heard cassettes are coming yeah, back. Cassette, there is yeah, a cassette I've got a whole version. stack of them. They're available in Europe. Yeah, right really? Yep. There's a cassette? I love Yeah, yeah my daughter came around my house. She said, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> We're waiting for the cylinder version. <laughs> well, huge thrill to be joined by true legends, Ian Gillen, Ian Pace, Roger Glover, real nice guys, too. Of course, the members of Deep Purple joining me on this week's Eddie Trunk podcast. Check out their new album, which is out there right now. Got to tell you, I I really wish sometimes there could be a microphone in my pocket when I talk to these guys behind the scenes or as we're leaving. Not because there's any sort of dirt or anything like that, but when we ended that interview, I rode the elevator down with those guys, and I started talking to Ian Gillen about the Sabbath Born Again record. And we sat in the lobby for about five minutes while the other guys were waiting in the car. And we talked about Born Again. And that was just a huge thrill as well. So great guys. Really, really cool. I'm glad I could bring that to you on the Eddie Trunk podcast. Again, it's new every Thursday, podcastone.com and iTunes. Oh, and don't forget, how could I forget my Amazon store? Amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. The Amazon store. I got my own storefront there. You go ahead, you click, you buy right through that stuff. You get to uh, check it out. You get to see my personal picks from my Amazon store and then buy whatever you want through the rest of Amazon. But always start, please, Amazon.com slash shop slash Eddie Trunk. Check it out when you get a chance. Katie Irizarry is the producer of the Eddie Trunk podcast. I'll see you next Thursday for another all-new episode, podcastone.com and iTunes.
Hey humans, David Smalley here from the Dogma Debate Podcast, right here on Podcast One, where we talk about all the things you're not supposed to discuss at work, religion, politics, abortion, racism, slavery, and that's only when we open the Bible. We discuss Islam, Islamophobia, what does that even mean? We chat with vegans, animal rights activists, and even visit factory farms to see it for ourselves. I invite people from multiple backgrounds to convert me into their worldview. But as long as they're okay with being respectfully challenged, you better bring your evidence. And I never lose sight of how both the left and the right are seeming to lose their minds. So basically, we're solving all the world's problems right here on Dogma Debate. And you've been missing it. Watch our 360 virtual reality videos on the Podcast One app and download Dogma Debate on iTunes or PodcastOne.com. Life is a highway. And on it, there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.